The Ryan Tuberty Show on RTE Radio 1 with Elevon Merchant Services. Growing your business is easy peasy with us by your side. I recently spoke to uh, Eamon McEnany, who's the curator of the Irish Museum of Time in Waterford. And we were chatting about the International Festival of Time. It's happening later this month. And one of its esteemed contributors is an Irishman who joins us on the line from, of all places, rather appropriately enough, Switzerland. Stephen McGonigal, good morning to you. Good morning, Ryan. Thank you for being with us this morning. And tell us uh, a little bit, before we get to Switzerland, uh, let's stay in Ireland. And we go to Athlone. And you, Athlone and watches, bring it all together for me. Yeah, uh, it's a funny combination, I suppose. But uh, I would have started with my dad while he worked for the Westmead Independent and the Irish Times as a hobby. Uh, He repaired clocks. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, growing up, there was clocks all over the house in different states of repair. And uh, it was impossible to get get away from it, really. (laughs) So So really, that's where it started. My dad maybe pushed John, John, my older brother, into uh, help them or direct them towards the, the Swiss Institute of Horology in Dublin. The Swiss Black. Institute of Horology in Dublin? Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of it. Yeah, actually, Ryan, most people haven't. And even even I had the experience when I was in Blanchetown studying, there was, I'd go up to the, to the town, Blanchetown, and, and even people in Blanchetown hadn't heard of it. Because it was tucked away, it was near the hospital. And, and of course, it was a very small college, but uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. very, very well respected. And how did it come about? How, sorry, just I'm sidestepping a little bit, but how did our, uh, Dublin have end up with the uh, Swiss Institute of Horology? Time. Well, it was partly funded by the, the Irish government and also by the Swiss uh, watch, ind- watch industry. I mean, the, the writing was on the wall for an industry, of course. The, the market was huge worldwide and they, they didn't have sufficient uh, people for servicing and there, there were other colleges. There's one all over Europe, for example, all over the world now, which help uh, service the the quantity of Swiss watches coming out of the country. You know. Um. So you you went there and you were studying watches and clocks and and you you got the interest, I suppose. Did does it become an addiction or just a, a point of fascination? Yeah. Well, it's certainly a f- fascination for me. It sort of happened very quickly, almost overnight for me, because I wasn't really interested with the in the clock side of things when my dad was doing them but mm. when I saw what John was doing it was uh, it was immediately fascinated if you can imagine it's, it's very different it, you know for one thing it's hard to see what the watchmaker is doing at any, at any point you know even if you're standing over him I, I thought, thought there was a certain mystery to it you know and uh, yeah the minute I saw saw that I was hooked and uh, I, I you know the, the course in Dublin was was very full on it was very tough, but but I enjoyed it, and and uh, once I moved to Switzerland, I really loved the work. And yeah. you you had to um, drift towards London first. I mean, the, the holy grail for watchmakers is Switzerland, I understand. But you ended up in an antiques place in Piccadilly in London, doing what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I didn't want to go to. Lo- I wanted to go to Switzerland straight away, of course, and that's all that was on my mind. But at the at the time, it was extremely difficult to get you know, a visa in Switzerland. So mm. I, I got a job offer in London and it was a fantastic experience. It was restoring antique and vintage watches oh, no. for Somlo Antiques in Piccadilly. 
and uh, very, very tough. You know, you, one day you're in college where there's no real-time restrictions, you know, and the next day you're you're given each and every piece was different and you were given a watch and it was like, you have to do this in this amount of time and that's it or else basically, you know. So it was very, very tough, but it, it hugely beneficial experience. It was really good. Wonderful. And then Switzerland came calling at last. Where did you land yeah. there? <laughs> I was extremely lucky there as well because I followed John into this uh, very small company that was making uh, uh, movements and mechanisms for other brands. And the mechanisms are called, it's it's a strange term, Ryan, they're called um, complications. Mm. So it's, it's watches that do more than just tell the time. People would be familiar with chronographs, for example. That'd be a complication. Uh, and then it goes all the way up to combinations of different compl- of different complications. We do the McGonagall watch, for example. The Kyol is a minute repeater, uh, which yeah. chimes out the the time mechanically. Um, so extremely, extremely complicated. Over three hundred. It, it, it sounds like something out of a very old fairy tale. That's that. That's what that you can add these complications to the watches. You know, it, it sounds so modern and so old at the same time. Yeah, well, actually, Ryan, it's funny you say that because uh, even in these modern times, the 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 industry is embracing the the technology, uh, yet keeping that. You know, we're we're still making mini repeaters, which had a function way back. You know, with with no electricity, it was for the very wealthy where they could they could hear the time without I don't know lighting. You know, could they have this timepiece by their bedside? So so it had a function way back then, but. Uh, with the advancing, we use CNC machines today, 3D 3D software for design. Yet we keep making these, uh, uh, like the minute repeater. The, technically, it hasn't changed, but it's is mm. it's as popular as ever. So when we hear about Calvinism, and I know again we're leaping into the the realms of history here, but John Calvin, French uh, theologian, reformer, he he banned the wearing of ornamental objects and jewelry, and would watches not fall into that? Yeah, uh, well, it was sort of, a, I suppose, a, a loophole. The, the way they saw it was that the watch had a, a function, whereas the jewellery was almost frivolous, you know. So um, as if you were doing watchmaking, it was okay. And so a lot of jewellers moved from jewellery making to watchmaking, and, and so the, mm. the industry exploded in Geneva. And why, why Switzerland? Why Geneva? Why Basel? Why, why Switzerland in particular? Well, Switzerland in particular because it was the the French Huguenots um, escaping persecution. You know, of course. Uh, well, I, I'm only learning this now myself, but mm. with the we might talk about that later. But with the exhibition in a, in a couple of weeks' time in 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 Waterford, there there was an attempt to. Uh, settle Huguenots there and uh, start a watch industry in Waterford, which is incredible. Incredible. Again, so we're going now from, as you say, Switzerland to, to Waterford. And now it becomes clear, as as per uh, our brief conversation uh, not too long ago with Eamon uh, McAnini about this, but let's go back to yourself then. F- about 15 years ago, you established McGonagall Watches. Here's this Irish guy in the heart of watchmaking in Switzerland uh, with... What, a, a particularly, I mean, does it have a Celtic or an Irish feel to your watches or are they just watches or watches? Yeah, so I started with my brother John, but it's, um, Ryan, it's a very tricky thing. We, we always wanted to bring 
the Irish heritage and our, and our you know our ourselves into the watches, but you don't want at the same time to have, you know, shamrocks or leprechauns. Mm. You know, we we wanted an Irishness to the watch, but not some, nothing so obvious that it screamed uh, Irish in a sort of corny way. But uh, so the design is extremely important to us and. The best compliment I've got from a lot from a lot of collectors and enthusiasts is when they take up the watch, they look at it, and they say, you know, it looks Irish, but I don't know why. Yeah. And, and I think that's the best compliment you could get. But and where and when I can, I, I work with, uh, I collaborate with Irish uh, artisans, and uh, of course, my sister Frances, an artist. Uh, she does all. She's responsible for the design of all the engraving and all the McGonagall's. Nigel O'Reilly over in Mayo in Ballina. I've just recently done a, a, a unique piece with him. That's for McGon watches now. That's a different thing, but uh, he's an extraordinary talent, jeweler. And uh, so the Irish, Irish, Irish thing is extremely important. And uh, I try to carry it into every piece done. Every, every screw, every spring, every bridge made by hand. I can't imagine what level of intricacy and excellent eyesight you must have. <laughs> it's, start, it's starting to fade a little bit <laughs> with age, I'm afraid, Ryan. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, so, so much as there, a lot of components will be finished by hand for sure. But as I said earlier, with technology, you know, um, there are certain pieces, in fact, a lot of pieces that are made with CNC machine, if you like, roughly, and then finished by hand. Uh, but yeah, every single component down to the screws are are finished by hand, be it polishing, graining, whatever. So a huge amount of time spent on each and every piece. Now, uh, when you were at the trade fair in Monaco some years ago at the Irish stand, uh, somebody that will be very well known to <laughs> our listeners arrived up to your stand and uh, tell us who he was and what he wanted from you and what he, what you what you spoke about. <laughs> yeah, we that was very early on in, in the in the life of mechanical watches. It was one of our first exhibitions actually and you know stone broke uh, years of development and you don't make money during design development of course. So we got wind that uh, Bono was in in the building and was going to visit the exhibitors and we thought this is great, an Irish man, uh, you know. Uh, so when he came to our stand, he actually introduced him. He came in and he spent a lot of time with us. I'd say he was there a good half hour, mm. and, um, which I thought was very impressive as well. He 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 spotted uh, stuff a lot of people wouldn't. You know, I said about the subtleness of the design. He saw things in in, in the design. We had the tourbine there, and. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't see it, but he saw it straight away, which was quite impressive. But he saw he, the witch? Did you say the, the word I couldn't make out there? Was it tourbillon? Tourbillon, yeah. It's, uh, again, another complication. Uh, so the, the the heart of the watch, if you like, the timing, um, rota- the, the balance rotates in a cage, and, and this uh, negates any faults in uh, due to gravity, in fact. So um, and while it's... A, very technical thing it looks very beautiful because it's constantly rotating so Bono's looking at this and he's saying he's loving it obviously he's loving the Irishness of it yeah yeah and I mean at one point we were already delighted that he was there and, and, and you know giving, giving us the time and giving us the compliments and all the rest but at one point he said that it was one of the most beautiful things he'd ever seen 
Wow. Which, uh, which we thought, okay, job done. We <laughs> sail we in the bag. Yeah. We, <laughs> well, Ryan, I was thinking maybe even three or four, one for each of the lads and you know, the bands. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, it didn't uh, come to pass, but maybe he's still still deciding. He's he just making up his mind. I mean, he's got, <laughs> he's got to make this is a big decision. How, how much does such a it's a vulgar question? How much does does such a watch cost? Yeah, no, it, you're right, Ryan. They're, they're not cheap at all. I mean, the the Turbine is uh, 120,000 euros. Uh, so okay, okay. Uh, I didn't I didn't know we were dealing at that at that level. So, how do you make a living selling watches at that cost? You know, uh, despite despite the price tag, it's really not easy, Ryan. Uh, um, if you if you imagine the amount of like for the Torbjorn or, or especially for example the the Minerva Peter the Kjol, there's years of of yeah. design and development before you even bring a product to to the to the market, and then uh, you know we talked about the components, each and every part finished by hand, the case. Uh, the amount of people involved, like there's a huge team behind each and every watch, mm. from engravers, enamelers, case makers, strap makers. You're, you're, you're buying a painting, by the sounds of it, or a piece of sculpture. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you said it, Ryan. I would no, no, but I'm looking at <laughs> I'm looking at the tourbillon here, and you know, it does look like something very beautiful. I mean, and if you're into horology, and if you're into clocks and watches, as equally as if you're into paint, or if you're into uh, whatever it might be in terms of um, art, this is in the same world. So that's why uh, that that explains the cost and, and because of the rarity of it all. I mean, when you think of, um, let's say, Rugby International, Robbie Henshaw, he's a fellow athlone man. He's been wearing one of your watches for, for the past number of, uh, for the past year, I should say. So does, when somebody like him wears the force of titanium, does that garner a lot of interest for you? Is that like, a, is that like an ad on a wrist? Uh, that was certainly the idea um, when when I got in touch with Robbie at the very start of that. That's the McGon now, the the, the, the the sister brand. Uh, that was certainly the idea that Robbie would be an ambassador, uh, and indeed he's become a lot more since. He, I mean, he, we we chat a lot about all aspects of the of the company, but yeah, I mean, it's huge when you see. Nobody wants to see it on my wrist, Ryan. <laughs> Nobody yeah, cares about yeah, yeah. on my wrist. But when they see it on somebody like uh, Robbie, well then, mm. you know. Of course, it 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 uh, draws the eye, you know. Um, you're you're living in Switzerland now, and you're you're with your partner Katrina. Um, how did you meet her? Where's she from? So she's from Westport Mayo. Yes, uh, but we met in Neuchatel. We actually met in uh, in Switzerland. In Switzerland, in Neuchatel. Pardon, yeah, yeah, Neuchatel in Switzerland is where. Uh, village I actually live in a smaller village nearby now but that's where I used to live in Nishtel so how did a, a, a woman from Mayo and a man from Athlone meet in a village in Switzerland uh, I suppose you know the expats tend to gravitate towards each other Ryan but uh, we met uh, it sounds so corny but we met in a, in a pub yeah <laughs> um, I mean I suppose it's inevitable in some ways but uh, we met uh in a pub in Neuchatel. Okay. Um, which we actually bought a few years later. <laughs> <laughs> That's the longest comma I've ever seen <laughs> or heard. <laughs> we liked it so much we bought the pub. And how did the pub go? Was it a successful endeavour for you, for you both in Irish bar? It was, yeah. There was a few of us involved, but it was, it was, certainly was. I mean, we, when we bought it, it was, uh, it was already 
well established, but it was very small. Um, but we brought the Irishness to, to it, if you like, the the, the service, the, the friendly service, um, and we brought we we had brought a lot of over the years. We brought a lot of uh, Irish musicians, flew them over from Ireland. Oh, great! Sessions and. Uh, we turned. We actually renovated it quite a lot, so we turned it from one floor into a three-floor bar, and and in fact, uh, we turned it into one of the highest-grossing pubs in Switzerland. Oh, congratulations! That's that. What what what's the nearest city to to the village or to the town you're talking about? Uh, so we we'd be placed almost halfway between Geneva and Zurich. Okay, and yeah. the bar is no longer yours. Is that right? Yeah. Would you believe we sold it just before COVID? Oh, you lucky thing. Yeah, time. Time was on your side. <laughs> it was a little bittersweet though because we sold it to um, a friend. But oh, no. thankfully, thankfully, the um, you know the 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 support here from the government it was ah. sensational, and uh, even the landlord the landlord said, "Listen, if you're if you're not in business, if you're not open, then you don't pay rent." So uh, he, he he's he's not bad. You know, he didn't suffer. Yeah. I understand. That's good. And now it's all going. It's all going concern again, which is good news. Back to the watches briefly before we say goodbye. Do you wear a watch? Uh, I used to wear one round because, uh, you know, <laughs> the McGonagall ones, I'm afraid I will never be able to afford okay. unless my financial situation changes. But the McGon one, yeah, certainly I, I, I wear one of those if just for testing now. Yes, time, yeah. you're, you're just, it's just research, Stephen. I understand. Yeah. Yeah, you have to wear a very expensive <laughs> watch just to make sure it's working. And you're going to you're going to be obviously here back in Ireland for the inaugural Waterford International Festival of Time, starting May nineteenth to twenty second. Um, it'll be hosted by the Irish Museum of Time. I always think of my friend John Joe uh, from the Toy Show who introduced me to the world of horology many many years ago now, and. Um, I suspect you're going to what are you going to showcase some of your watches I'm now really interested I'd love to see this now after our conversation Would do you, will you be bringing over some of the, the higher end watches with you is that the, the plan yeah yeah absolutely I'll have a couple of pieces from McGonagall and I'll have uh, pieces from uh, McGon watches as well including the, the piece the unique piece I did with Nigel O'Reilly the, the diamond set um uh, Forza. Mm. Well, when you see a big black car rolling up outside the front door and Bono gets out to say, actually, I think I will have that watch. In fact, give me four of them. Uh, we, <laughs> we had a good year at the office. Uh, I'm expecting you know, that. <laughs> here's hoping. Steve McGonagall, really enjoyed talking All to you right, this morning Brian. and I wish you, I wish you every good, good luck. Brian, can I just ask, yes. ask to plug one thing, please, if yeah, sure. it's possible? Of course. Uh, I'm in... I'm just finishing. I'm, I'm working on creating a, a unique piece for the um, refugee crisis with the U- Ukraine, mm-hmm. and uh, it's almost finished. It takes a while because you know the dial. It's it's a McGon piece, but it's a it's a hand painted dial, handmade strap, and all the rest. So th- those things have to be changed for this design. But uh, I plan to put it up uh, in in an in an auction, and all proceeds will go. Uh, towards the support for the refugees and uh, just just to put it out there now so people look out for it when it does go up for auction and it, where, where can they go to find that because they'll be very interested to see what it looks like and everything yeah. oh, I'll, have, I'll have it up on the website for sure when it's ready okay and then, and then information on, on, on how the auction will go okay and your website uh, is Stephen uh, McGonWatches.com McGonWatches.com that's M-A-G-O-N Watches.com 
Yeah. That's All it. right. Best of luck with everything, Stephen. Thanks for your time thanks. today. Thanks a million, Ryan. Thank okay, you very much. Man. Fascinating. And, uh, and, and, and to you. And a little reminder then, of course, that the, the festival is uh, at uh, visit. You can go to watervertreasures.com for more information. All right. Enjoy that immensely. We'll have more for you after this. 